Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. So glad you are back for another windowsill chat. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Anna Bianchi, and I'm really thrilled to bring her path to you. It's a colorful one for sure. I'm going to read you a review, and I thank you so much for leaving those reviews. They really mean a lot. You can do so by going to the, um, when you're listening, go to the bottom of the episode and there's a place to do it. But today, Wendy Horvat, thank you so much for weighing in. Wendy says, a really special podcast. Whether I'm working on my art projects or just need a bit of encouragement as I navigate creative biz life, this podcast is such a gift. The guests that Margot interviews are so generous with their stories, and I absolutely love hearing where and how they got started. Of course, Margot exudes joy and calm, which is something we can all use more of. Thank you, Wendy. I could listen to windowsill chats for hours. I highly recommend it. And one of the reasons I chose Wendy's today was because it is a perfect segue into Anna's story. Anna's story is so rich and colorful and super interesting. Anna is an artist, designer, illustrator, and children's book author. She is a color fanatic. She started making art when she was five and first learned printmaking from a master printer. Over the years, she's loved to learn more about making methods that delight her and can come in handy in all that she gets into. From branding and illustrated graphic design projects to personal art projects, from her illustrated clothing line, paper girl collection, to surface design and ceramics, everything Anna does has color as a common thread. Originally from Mexico, after many years in New York, Anna currently lives in the Bay Area in California, where finally she has a garden she uses as a natural color lab for photography and the color projects she started when COVID lockdown began. Anna has a brand new amazing website that just launched and it's called analovescolor.com, A-N-A lovescolor.com. It is just a riot of gorgeousness and you can see some of her talents there. Tuck in, we have a fantastic conversation and she's one of just the most fascinating artists as she's done some really, really fascinating things and her path to learning them has been super, super interesting. So thank you again so much for being here along with me in the windowsill. So today I get to speak with my friend, Anna. Thank you so much for being here. 
I'm thrilled to have you. And thank you, Margo, for inviting me. It's super exciting to be here and be in your windowsill. Well, I've followed along with what you're doing. I think I originally met you in a Make Art That Sells class or became aware of you there. And you you were doing some amazing home decor designing, salt and pepper shaker designing, or if that's what it was. Yeah. And, and I just thought, who is this? People might not think that I actually you know, do poke around, but I'm always looking at people. And then I remember seeing your, you know, your path and what you've done and thinking, oh my goodness, this, this is a woman I'd like to know more about. So (laughs) I'm glad you're here and we can all learn a little bit more. How do you describe yourself? Do you describe yourself now? Or or here's an, I haven't really asked this question before at at this time in your life, and maybe how you would have described yourself 10 years ago creatively. So I always joke that I've been leading a double life my whole life. So I've always done um, graphic design and branding and that kind of avenue of things. And then on the other side, I've always, and by always, I mean, since I was like a little kid, I've always been an artist and I've always been like obsessed about drawing and color and all these things. And for the longest time, I was trying to keep these kind of two avenues separated Mm. because it's kind of like I'm wearing the designer hat or I'm wearing the artist had. And at this point of my life, I realized that I'm going to be all I can be and I'm going to just do it all mixed together. So that's what I do. So some some of my work leads more towards design, like I have design projects and I do branding and I do those kind of things, but they are always a little bit artistic. Mm-hmm. And then I I do a whole bunch of illustration work for, for kids, for surface, for you know, just like a bunch of um, whatever opportunity I can have in making drawings and illustrations. And then I do have my art practice that sometimes it involves printmaking, sometimes it's painting or ceramics or, you know, I, I'm just like very, I've always loved Picasso. And I, one thing I loved about Picasso is that he would do everything and he would be unapologetic about doing everything. So you know, that's that's sort of the path where I'm at right now. I'm just going to do all I can do because I just love being busy and making and creating all the time. Oh, that's that's so wonderful. I think unapologetic is a really good word to remember because, you know, we, I was talking about this with some friends earlier today that we as creatives sometimes apologize or as women too, like, oh, sorry that, you know, I'm not doing this thing that you think I should be or whatever. We think about that ourselves, but absolutely not worthy of an apology, actually worthy of, of a celebration, I think. And that's wonderful. So you say from when you were a little girl, I'd love to know um, how you're, you're live in Walnut Creek, is that right? Or that area of Northern yes. California. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a long, an interesting path. So tell us a little bit about the Anna and the creative Anna and how you got to where you are. So I'm originally from Mexico and I was obsessed with art making since I was in preschool Mm. Uh, to the point that when Christmas came around and I would always be asking, you know, Santa Claus or whatever for art materials. I, I didn't care about really toys and dolls. I wanted art materials and paper and art classes like I begged my parents for art classes Mm. forever and they did put me in an art class with a master printmaker that Mm. would teach like this kid for class uh, you know kid classes for painting and I actually have it framed here in my studio 
Mm. The the painting when I discovered I could mix colors oh, out wow. of the, the the basic things. And it's it's dated like not to date myself, but it's from 1976. Mm-hmm. And and I remember vividly how I felt when I mixed red and yellow and created orange and oh. all that stuff. It was just like alchemy and magic. And the art teacher was very interested in me. She did notice I was different from the other kids because I was, I mean, I was making drawings that kids normally don't do. Like I was making like Christ on a cross and I was making like these very complex landscapes and like a, a, a guy running through the forest with the air around him, just like, you know, and she invited me to stay longer with her and work with her in her printmaking studio. So I was, uh-huh. I started making etching when I was five. Oh my gosh. I have my little plates. I still have my little plates from, from back yeah. then. So like pre-making is something I've done on and off my whole life. And mm-hmm. um, how great to be seen at that point. Yes. And, you know, I don't, there were no artists in my family, mm, but there was always a, a, a big interest in art. My grandfather was an art collector and he had pretty nifty things in um, in, in his walls. Mm-hmm. Um, a few major pieces in nice. his walls, which yeah. was, I mean, I remember a Frida Kahlo painting oh, gosh. in my oh. grandparents' house. And of course, they oh. bought it before Frida Kahlo was, was famous. It was my grandmother's gift when she turned 40. Oh. And it's like Frida was still like Diego's wife back right. then. So but anyhow, they were they were interested and and paying attention to art. So they absolutely. were able to yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean amazing. my mother studied art history and my mother was not an artist, but she was an amazing crafter. Like she could mm. knit like nobody's business. Oh, wow. And she would do repousse and she would do, you know, she would try her hand at many art making things. My grandmother was the most amazing knitter as well. I mm. rebel and I never learned how to knit. Oh. I'm, I'm still fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then like uh, I had a aunt that had a stained glass workshop. So my first paid job actually was designing stained glass, you know, with big her. murals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, I was like channeling my inner Tiffany mm-hmm. when I was 17 designing these stained glass windows. Oh, I love that. Do you have photographs of any of those tucked away no unfortunately oh. this is the time before the time of oh, but you know I would do like these fishes yeah. and flowers and look into George O'Keefe and then take it to the next level and you know whatever I was you know I was always very serious and very much in in search of you know creating beautiful drawings and obviously the search for color regardless of the medium yeah that's interesting that that's been a thread for you Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, when it was time for me to to, you know, I was finishing high school and of course I wanted to do, go to art school, like fine art art school mm-hmm. and become a painter. And um, and my mom was like, nope, you are going to go into something that will give you, you know, that you can work and have a living and 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 not be surrounded by hippies, which is like a funny notion right because uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow um so I ended up going to graphic design school mm-hmm. and and in Mexico when you go into college for graphic design that means five years of solid graphic design mm-hmm. like no other ele- like 
you know, you can have a specialty and I did do a specialty in illustration and another specialty in, in textile design, mm -hmm. but it was like full five years of graphic wow. design. And one of the things my mother said, and she was a tough lady, was like, once once you finish this, you can do your art thing. So oh, wow. <laughs> your so, art thing. So eventually I did go and study fine arts. Um, I was super happy that to to make my dream come true and I went to study fine arts in Florence so yeah. that wasn't too shabby at all no I so I don't want to just jump over that too much because there's not a lot mm -hmm. of people that can talk about that opportunity so I I must think though that those five years of graphics gave you a solid foundation to for many things that maybe even at the time where you were thinking I wish I could paint it was it was setting you up for a broader bunch of opportunities so how did you then get yourself to Florence like how did you just keep thinking okay now I'm done with this I can paint now and and or what pointed you there so um I have always been obsessed about Florence like I actually have a paper I wrote and illustrated like in fourth grade like in elementary school Love about it. renaissance in Florence so I was always obsessed about Florence I'm still pretty obsessed about Florence to the point that that's my daughter's name. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and, um, and anyhow, so I did the graphic design five years. And when I was in my last year of school, um, a major newspaper was opening an edition for Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And um, this was a newspaper from another big city. Mm -hmm. And they went to all the design schools and tried to find like the best students of, of that class. So they, they ended up interviewing and hiring a lot of, I mean, interviewing a lot of people and ended up hiring a hundred students. Mm. And when I was interviewing, they were kind of like, well, you know, you can be in page design because I did have like a strong typography component or there's also the opportunity of doing illustration. So I ended up going and becoming one of the five people that did full-time illustration for this newspaper. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was doing all the cultural sections and, and fashion every now and then I would do like opinion pieces. So a lot of editorial illustration because, oh. you know, it was a full-time job like illustrating, yeah. which is pretty nice, right? That, like yeah. right after school That's to have such a job. Rare. And I was still living in my parents' house because that's how it works in Mexico. Mm -hmm. You sort of like stay a long time with your parents. So basically I was saving every single cent of yeah. my salary minus, you know, gas for my car. And so I put together enough money to to go to Florence for a year. Good and, for you. and once once I was in Florence, I applied for I had a, a few scholarship opportunities over there. So um that was an amazing year. Mm. I and 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 you know, you just, it just changed you when you have a mentor. I had an, a my mentor over there is an amazing uh, painter. His name is Jules Madoff, and um, and he would take me to galleries or he would take me to like you know whether it was contemporary art or or Renaissance art, and he would. I remember once we went to a Modigliani show and he would make me look at the painting and he would ask me always these two questions. What's the tonal structure mm. of this painting, and what is that saying? 
and what's the color structure of this painting. Oh, wow. And and he would just like grill me on color, grill me on color, because he thought my colors were way too bright. Of course, I was coming from Mexico, yeah. but <laughs> that I needed to nuance them. So he would just like grill me. And, and that set me on a path of observing color in nature, or in art, in... I mean, I traveled a lot through my 20s. I went, I spent time in India, I spent time in Tibet, I spent time, you know, wherever I could go. Yeah. And and observing color in different cultures was also like a like a thing for me. Just well, especially visual knowing, impressions. Yeah, and knowing that you come from a colorful culture and then mm-hmm. going to Florence and and having that and seeing how that that's so cool that you could take it in in that way with that mm-hmm. understanding. Yeah, and and just like seeing the differences. I mean, I I did that year that I was there. Um, I also did like an art project in North Germany with a lot of Scandinavian artists. So of course that was like a whole other way of understanding color. It was mm-hmm. also muted and also you know so beautiful. And and because my nature is is bright color. I'm incredibly interested in chromatic grays and very pale chromatic whites and and mm. and the rich blacks you know like in in the Rothko chapel in Houston mm. that I mean that that was like an epiphany for me sitting in that chapel and just observing those seemingly black paintings mm-hmm. and spending 40 minutes in there and like I had tears screaming down my face because it's such a powerful place if if people have not been there they have to make a beeline when they can travel mm. but at the end of those 40 minutes they were not black they were like super colorful right and that's what it makes that place so magnificent so you know just like being aware of those things I'm mm-hmm. just obsessed about oh, I love that I think it's so interesting too because I know and we'll get into this but you're working on a massive color project that just makes so much sense. And I can't wait till that can be shared with more people out in the world. And and it gets, you know, I, I just love that you approach life with this eye for color and you've been trained to do that. And and I can't imagine, you know, standing there in front of a Modigliani being questioned, like that would be such a great learning and, and probably like exhausting in a way, but exhilarating at the same time to be asked questions like that. I would think. Oh, totally. And then, you know, you get to apply that, like that rigor of color, you get to apply it in real life. Like, I mean, in design, a lot of my design projects always started from the point of view of, um, you know, what of color, of creating a color palette, even if it was like, you know, whatever, like a branding project. And um, mm-hmm. there's one particular project, which is one of my favorite projects, which is... Um, I got to design the livery for Air Canada yeah. and, and for American Airlines, which, you know, of course, you know, when pretty huge people, people that know me for illustrating little kids clothing and, <laughs> and, and children's book don't expect me to to have that other side, because, of course, I had I, I kept everything so compartmentalized for the longest time. Right. But anyhow, when I, you know, in designing these airlines, um. We start designing from the screen. And mm-hmm. I was doing this while I was working in a big branding agency. Mm-hmm. But um, but I became like the practice leader for airline design. Anyhow, you know, you design on Illustrator, you create these beautiful gradients or this artwork, but then the 
really interesting thing is that you need to translate it into a way that can be actually painted. Mm -hmm. So I would go to outside Chicago to a place called Waukegan where the the paint company for airlines is based. And I would work with their colorist to develop the color, like custom color paint for these airlines. And, you know, like in the case of Air Canada, I, I actually had a dream for that design. I dreamt uh, I had never been to Canada, right, when I was assigned that project. But I did have a dream of, you know, when it's fall and the first frost falls mm. and maybe a wind comes and lifts a maple leaf and leaves an imprint of frost. Oh. I had that dream. So I was like, I'm going to do that in the plane. And even though we explored like thousands of designs, that's the one that ended up happening. So I was wow. working with this paint company and develop like the perfect tone of slightly blue, icy, frosty mm-hmm. color mm. for the plane. And I mean, it was just like a beautiful thing to do. So even though it's something very, very hard, it was a way to connect my art practice with a practical application. Oh my gosh, that's just amazing. I. When you were in Waukegan working with Mixing Color, was, were the people that you were working with, like, I were they as into it? Like, did they, yeah. I would think you guys probably had a fantastic time. There was this guy, Bob, who was like the chief colorist. And um, that was for another airline. That was a South American airline. And I needed, a, 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 I needed the ultimate red. And I was having this red conversation hard. with him. Very hard. Well, and also it has to be a, a paint that is not damaged by the UV when the plane is, you know, uh, all those hours of flying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was a chemist, colorist, wizard, and I would tell him, let's work on the ultimate red. It can be cherry. It can be pink. It can be orangey. It has to be the absolute red. And, um, and but he would get it. And yeah. Like when we developed the, the paint for American Airlines, uh, like the color scheme of American Airlines actually has seven colors, mm. even though you just see like red, white and blue. In mm-hmm. reality, there's because you are creating gradients also with sure. with paint and graphic patterns. And it's really interesting when you see the, the, the tail of an airplane up close and how those nuances are, are created. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, that's sort of like a process I I. I had to figure out because I needed to translate. And of course, my, you know, printing, being a printer mm-hmm. also helps understand that. And, Absolutely. Uh, but anyhow, we were creating these colors because like in American Airlines, it had to be a very bright red, mm-hmm. but it couldn't go any cherry because then it would look like Delta's red. Oh, so, yeah. you know, there's always those nuances around finding the perfect color that I just love. Oh, gosh. I... <laughs> can only imagine we could probably hear stories for several hours. That's so cool. <laughs> Cause I think, you know, um, color is such a key component of our brains, you know, creatively it's, I love, you know, I'm, I love painting rooms. Like I, I love painting rooms almost more than I love painting a canvas because just like picking out a color and how it reacts to sunlight or shadow or a light turned Mm -hmm. on or the mood, or Mm -hmm. I can remember going to a doctor's office when I was really little and it was, I still, I can picture it right now, the color because it was gray and, and just sickly. And I was like, who, 
why would you, why wouldn't you paint Mm -hmm. then, you know, then there's all those studies about, of course, like what to paint the kind of rooms that people are recovering in or kids are, Mm -hmm. you know, in or, but I just, I love that you got to work with it in so many different ways in your career. Mm -hmm. You have been able to, because what a, what a fulfilling thing to do and to work with others that get it in the same way. I mean, you know, an airplane design is a very small sector of, of the creative community that gets to play with that. And I think that's fascinating. And of course that translated to, like you said, their whole suite. So it's, there's credit cards and there's promotional materials and there's all those things that have that on it and more than one. So it's very cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, in branding and design, obviously color is a big thing about having brand recognition and it's built over time when you're, you know, seeing a brand over and over and over. And, uh, but it's really like all around us. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, we, we understand color in many different ways. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, I can think of people and think of, of, of what color they are. And I'm not Mm. talking like esoteric or a color or anything. It's, it's, it's simply like, you know, you relate to people in, 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 in color. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. there is a color for my husband. There is a color for my daughter. And, um, in, in, you know, just, just looking all around. I mean, and color is also like a form of entertaining. Like I mm. remember, uh, I so I lived that. in New York. Yeah. I lived in New York for 18 years. Right. And I remember some days I would leave my house and I would think I'm going to find yellow. Mm. So I would, you know, just entertain myself in the subway or, or walking in the street. And I would sort of like in my mind's eye, block all the colors and just see yellow. So mm-hmm. of course there were like the caps and the, the lights, uh, the stoplight and, sure. and, uh, and some dude with a raincoat and an umbrella or, you know, and, and it's almost like in my mind, I would fade all the colors and just let the yellow <sighs> pop up. And it was That's just cool. like an, I mean, it was just for entertaining because you you get, you have to commute, right? But then you're seeing, like, I remember doing that with greens in, Mm -hmm. in, I grew up in the Napa Valley and I can remember, you know, this time of year, the spring, just thinking there are a million trillion greens in my eyes right now. So I can imagine seeing yellow. It's like, well, there's this tone of yellow and that one's brighter. And this one, yeah, I think what a cool Mm -hmm. exercise after think about that. That's very cool. So when you are so busy doing these high touch um, graphic projects, what Mm -hmm. were you doing for your own creative mojo? How were you, how are you Mm -hmm. feeding that part of you? So, I mean, I moved to New York city because I got this job offer to work in this, you know, top of the line branding agency, which was like an amazing opportunity. And so I would work, you know, doing this kind of like, not all projects were so, so marvelous as the airlines, believe me, but, you know, I would be working like weeks that were like 60 hours, but um, I was super lucky to meet a printmaker, uh, my friend, uh, Sheila Goloborotko, who I met her soon after I moved to to New York and she had a printmaking studio in Brooklyn and we just connected. She's, she's Brazilian and I don't know, we just immediate 
felt that kindred spirit thing. Mm. And I started going, I would go Wednesday evenings and then Saturdays to her printmaking studio. And of course, in New York, you live in tiny, tiny, tiny apartments. So before New York, I was painting large canvases, like, you know, like human figure, full size. Mm. And that's not something you can do in, in New York in a studio apartment. So so reconnecting with printmaking was amazing because I was, you know, I could put it in underneath my bed. Yeah. So I was I worked on 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 a series uh, of of pretty advanced printmaking mixed media techniques. Like I would mix, you know, line with etching, with mm. rasin, with shinkole, like really like getting all the technicality of such a classic technique. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and it was also really interesting just working with, you know, finding the my, a, a black ink. And and I printed on on linen paper, so it was a little bit of white, and I just worked on a, uh, on those series for many years mm. until I stopped working with her when I got pregnant. I I actually was working on a really in a big plate, you know, like putting my hands in the acid and yeah. uh, and I didn't know I was pregnant. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I figured it out sh- soon after. Yeah, and um, so I mean, here, here in Walnut Creek, there's a workshop that does printmaking without the the heavy duty acids mm-hmm. um, that I may look into. Yeah, but you know, right now I have my 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 mother had a tiny little printing press, so you know, I'm starting to do monoprints with my daughter and good. like get her into the magic of printmaking because oh, I mean, good. there's nothing more delightful than ink on paper. Yeah. Well, and especially when it's, it's been such, I mean, you've been doing it since you were five, so it's a part of your vocabulary, you know, that's yes. amazing. I, I took lithography in college. I went to UC Davis and, um, I just, those chemicals, my God, <laughs> afterwards we would go to the library and people would be like, what have you been doing? It's like, it's the joy of printmaking. Yeah. Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. But um, oh, I just love that. And then after you had your lovely daughter, do you is that when you so how, you tell me how did your art change then? So I had a there was a major change then. By then I was not working full time in the branding agency, but I had been called to work on the American Airlines project as uh, you know as an outside let's say mm-hmm. expert mm-hmm. Um, on the everything that had to do with delivery. And that also means spending a lot of time in hangars mm. in random places of the country waiting for paint to dry. Oh. So, <laughs> you know, like there I was. The glamour like, of it. Exactly. So there I was in a hangar in, I think that was in either like Amarillo, Texas or Victorville, yeah. California. <laughs> and I you know, I was, I wanted to teach myself how to uh, smock a dress uh-huh. for my daughter. Uh-huh. And I had a little sampler from my mom. So I was deconstructing the sampler to figure out how to do that. So there I was in a hangar with all these like, you know, hangar dudes. Yeah. And I was smocking. like, smocking a dress, no? <laughs> I love it. And I was thinking, you know, and I had a 10 month old baby and mm. I was talking to Marilla for, for 10 days. And mm. I was like, 
this has to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, anyhow, it did change. And I did have like one night I had an epiphany of what I wanted to do and, and how I wanted to pivot and everything. And it came a lot because also I started reading books, like picture books to my daughter since she was like three months old. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't know if it's that the voice of the mom is soothing when you're reading a storybook. And, um, but I mean, there were books I could read with my eyes closed. Yeah. Really? Because it was every night. And I was buying children's products or trying to buy. And I had like a particular idea of what I wanted. And it was not easy to find. And, and in a way I had like, there were like the cute clothes. And then there were like, I had a trunk of smock dresses and clothes my mom made for me you know mm. in the 70s so I, I don't know my daughter started wearing my clothes I was mm. reading all these children's books I was making things for her nursery I was paying and I was like I gotta do something for for little girls that involve drawings and storytelling so that's how I came up with uh, my illustrated clothing brand for little girls that is called paper girl collection mm. So basically for Paper Girl, I I would create a collection based around the theme. So I would say like, okay, spring is going to be the garden or or late summer is going to be the circus or, you know, basically uh, typical themes. And I would start brainstorming and creating, um, basically I would create a collection of nine dresses and I would write and illustrate nine stories mm. because each dress comes with a little storybook and the artwork on the fabric was not like the typical artwork that you would find on a dress it was more like the kind of artwork you would find on a storybook and thanks to digital printing and spoon flowers technology mm -hmm. I was able to make this happen and mm. um, I, I created five collections some of them I've already sold out. Some I still have, I'm still selling dresses or producing small batches of them, mm -hmm. uh, of the ones that were, you know, more sought after, whatever. But that was like a very interesting, um, I didn't know anything about how to run a business. Right. And um, I mean, I heard your conversation a couple, a few weeks ago mm -hmm, about yeah. the hardships <laughs> of, of, of having a business, a, mm -hmm. a creative business and, and manufacturing like I was a one-person show from figuring out how to you know designing the silhouettes of the dresses working with a pattern maker um, to figuring out a production way of producing the fabric so that I would have like the placement art in the yes. proper place in yeah. the same place for every dress mm -hmm. and so I had to devise that process and I was hustling around the garment district in New York, get, trying to get the best prices for producing this in the Tristad area at a price that I could still, you know, sell and make a profit and everything. So that was quite an adventure. So were in, they made in, where were they made? They were made in the Tristad area. So oh. I worked, I, well, actually, and, and the, I worked with a factory in Pennsylvania with uh, one in New Jersey and then with one in the garment district. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the thing. I think, you know, we have no shortage of ideas and sometimes ideas that we really want to see come to fruition, but it's, and it's so fun to figure it out, but the business part is not always where we start. 
Yeah, I've been very lucky in the sense that I've always had fairy godmothers. Mm -hmm. you know around me mm -hmm. and in New York I had the support of 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 a group of mentors uh for you know women entrepreneurs that you know they they would help me a lot especially with the numbers and with great. you know these were like women that have been bankers so they would help so me crunch great. numbers and and uh figuring like sell spreads and all those kind of things and 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 then I was you know I I, I had a, a couple of very I had two very lucky moments or the word lucky is kind of like an other word we sometimes use, mm -hmm. but there was a, a great moment when somebody uh, inside Bertolt Goodman, mm. uh, a legendary Betty Holbridge, the, the stylist oh, wow. there, saw my dresses and she went crazy oh. and she called the VP of merchandising and she was like, you got to come down here and meet this person and oh. blah, 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 blah. And boom, I got my collections into Bardor Goodman oh. in, and I was with them for four seasons. And, oh my gosh. I didn't know that. That's know, fantastic. It, it was incredible. And um, of course, you know, even, even so is not enough to sustain a brand. You still have right. to hustle in a thousand million ways. Right. Right. And, um, but that was a great thing um, to do. Uh and and it's funny because I always wanted to work with the team that does the windows for Bertha Goodman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I remember applying like three times to join that team. Oh, and of course I never heard back. But but I was always saying, like, I'm gonna I'm not going to leave New York until I do something with Bertha Goodman. <laughs> and then this happened. So that's amazing. Like, that's almost the ultimate because you know, if you're doing the windows, which are there's nothing like Bergdorf windows, but if you're doing okay. that, you're doing a vision. But they wanted your vision in Bergdorf, uh -huh. Goodman, which is pretty yes. spectacular. Yes. And um, um, so anyhow, you know, from when with Paper Girl, I did start with the clothing line, but but the idea around storytelling mm -hmm. with beautiful artwork it's actually an idea that can go way beyond just little dresses. For sure. Um, I got two books published in full size that come from the mini books that, that happen in the dresses. But my dream and my next step and something I'm actively trying to pursue is being able to translate that experience of storytelling mm -hmm. into a room design. Like I would mm. love a kid to enter this room that is a storytelling space. Oh, wow. And you know, whether, whether, you know, it's not just like a pretty space, right? It's, it's, it's a space that comes with a story. It's a space that has the characters, you know, it's a space where there is certain interaction because I really, really care about, you know, making kids be more imaginative, be mm -hmm. more creative, be curious. You know, I like when I write stories for, for, you know, kids stories, or I illustrate, I, I want to, pick their curiosity mm -hmm. so that they can go beyond you know reading the first story like in my little storybooks for paper girl at the very end there's always you know like um fun facts or questions or things or inspirations that may take the kid and their parents into further discovery i love that because i mean that's you thinking through your own reading and your own experience and you know with just what you'd like that to be and then passing that on with these spaces 
these spaces of story and and experiential spaces where do you see those coming to life is that like in a public space or in someone's home or in you know how do you see that happening well of course it would be really cool to do it in an art gallery but but i want these to become like real environments for kids so yeah. i i i would like to see it happen in in kids bedrooms mhm you know, I'm just throwing it out in the universe, but yeah. you know, for Pottery Barn yeah. to to invite me to design a room that tells stories or or crate and barrel or any of these, you know, places that create spaces for kids and create a collection for a kid's room, mm-hmm. but give it the extra element of storytelling. I love it because I my head goes to well you know, work with someone who in a show house, like a Kips Bay kind of situation or anywhere, you know, they're there anywhere. Yeah. So it starts to get out there. What about a space for kids, like in a children's hospital or something like that yeah, too? Totally. I can, I, I, you know me, I'm riffing on product all the time, but I love yes. the idea of that. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to that gray, that, would be lovely. that gray exam room where my mom was a designer too. And we talked so much about color still do. And I would go with her and watch her pick out. I was always amazed by how much she kept in her head. She, you know, would be thumbing through the, the fabrics and things like that. And Mm -hmm. she'd be, that's good for Betty and Andy. That's good for the, well, we were, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, some, she had some good clients, but anyway, and and she always kept that straight in her mind, but there was always so much color and richness and texture. So I can Mm -hmm. see, I can see how that would be so beneficial to to talk about how to tell that story in a space where it inspires kids totally. and then adults as well. Because sadly, you know, kids nowadays, I mean, kids nowadays are incredible. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. However, there's so much storytelling and mm-hmm. visual stuff that is prepackaged for them. Prepackaged. That, that I want them to unpackage yes. their imagination. Because that's that's where that's where a happy kid exists. Mm-hmm. When a happy kid is is free to imagine and free to create and is not trapped in a I mean, let's not even go into like violent video games, right? Mm-hmm. Just just prepackaged experience, prepackaged roles, prepackaged visuals. Mm-hmm. You Instead know? of dreaming that up by themselves, make believe, exactly. play outside, that kind of thing. Exactly. Like, no, I'm 12, exactly. 13-year-old boy. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. It's challenging. Um, it's challenging because they're fun. And, you know, that prepackaged video game is, mm-hmm. you don't want to leave, you don't want to go outside. You want to sit in front of it. And it's like, wow. Yeah. So yeah. speaking of going outside, I know there's a lot of projects, but mm-hmm. your latest project. So I don't want to miss anything. So dresses, then what? And I just, I just want to make sure um, I'm just so excited about your latest project that I'm I might be jumping ahead. (laughs) No, I'm just going to go straight to it. So um, I'll do a little um, move from New York to California. Yes. Yes. How did and why and why? Because that's a big, huge move. Yes. So it's very funny because both my husband and I, we loved, loved, loved living in New York, Mm -hmm. but we did not love, love, love being in an apartment. Yeah. And um. And we wanted a certain lifestyle. We wanted a garden. We wanted, you know, a different weather. We wanted my daughter to be more in contact with nature besides Mm -hmm. Central Park. And don't get me wrong. My daughter will tell you, I'm a New Yorker. I love that. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) But anyhow, we, my husband is half 
Argentinian, half Californian. Ah, so so there helps. was always a pull for California, and yeah. uh, we really like the Bay Area, blah blah blah. So you know, we just made it happen. Yeah, and people thought we were crazy. It's a big but move. We just we just made it happen, and we found a weird house uh, that was horribly decorated, mm-hmm. but it was very intriguing. And uh, and I told him he he never saw the house. I was the one that that saw it and picked it, and he trusted me. And I was like, you know, this is a renovation project, but <laughs> we don't need to to destroy walls. It's just the surfaces. So we basically touch every surface of the of this house, mm. and and I played to be like the interior designer. Mm-hmm. And uh, but above all, it was a house with a garden project. There you go. Um, there was a in in this. It's not a massive garden. Like people think I have like acres and acres. It's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a slope. There's a gigantic oak mm-hmm. that is just magical. And there was and there's a little vineyard mm. which was deceased. So we brought back the vineyard um, to health. So nice. now we are making our own wine. <gasps> I uh, love that. What kind of grapes um, do you have? I have to ask. Syrah. Oh, nice. And I'm designing the label right now. Of so course. For, and, um, but, but then the rest was just like a slope of mud. Mm. So we created that garden design and, and we spent a lot of time gardening and outdoors and, and everything. So, and, and also, you know, I was finishing New York. I was very burned out when I left yeah. New York. I was giving myself space to breathe and to reinvent myself. And, and I wanted to do less manufacturing and mm-hmm. more you know, I wanted to explore licensing or I wanted to explore more the children's books. Um, my two children's books were published by a publishing house here in Berkeley right after in the first year after I moved here. And and in my search of, you know, let's do more illustration, let's do more kid books, tarara, I ended up discovering uh, the wonderful Lila Rogers and mm-hmm. her classes. Mm-hmm. And um so, you know, I've been taking a lot of classes with her. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been in business. You right. you can always learn from a wonderful class. So I love, I just love taking her classes. And last year in her bootcamp class, um, one of the assignments, it was not even like the main assignment. It was like what she calls a mini. Mm-hmm. Um, we love had those minis. To, she wanted to do a, like a color exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, she told people in the class, and this is a class with like 800 people all over the world. Right. Um, in case, you know, for people that are not familiar with her classes, but she gives these assignments and then you go do and all kinds of people do all kinds of things. But the assignment was grab a bunch of things, put it, random things, put them together and make a color palette out of it. So I had a bunch of... Um, geraniums and pelargoniums blooming outside my Mm. studio it was around this time of the year and I grabbed them all and I put them all together and I photographed them to create like a red and pink and orangey palette and then I was like "Ooh, let's grab more flowers Mm -hmm. so I went down and I caught you know spring is magical in California I caught a bunch of other things and I was like "Ooh, this is good and you know, I delivered the assignment, the class continued, people carry on with the assignments, but I was just like, 
I need to do more of this and I need to do more of this. And this was at the time of lockdown. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'm trapped in my garden and I'm so blessed, so yeah. blessed and so grateful that that I've been able to stay in my garden through this year. Yes. Uh, that I haven't even missed not leaving my house mm-hmm. because I've been busy doing these things. So basically, you know, every week, every few days, I go out into the garden with my basket, you know, like I'm picturing like I'm in Provence, but I'm yeah, in California, exactly. which is not that shabby either. Right. <laughs> And, and I cut things, or if I'm sitting in the garden, I'm just observing, like, you know, I have my coffee outside, and I'm observing what's what's around me. And I start, you know, that same exercise that I was doing with the yellow cabs in New York. Yes. I start blocking colors, and mm. then I see, you know, like the, the pink start popping out, or mm-hmm. there's like the dark foliage, or the green weed, there's a blue iris over there. You know, basically, and then I just go with my little scissors and my basket and I start cutting. Mm. And and then, of course, you know, there's the dry thing. So sometimes I leave these groupings of flowers to dry because the color changes. So I have the same grouping of of flowers fresh. And then I also photograph it when it's dry. I love that so much. And I love it. And um, or, you know, then... Of course, fall eventually came, you know, through the summer. Mm-hmm. I grow a lot of food here. So I had, and I buy tomatoes and seeds. Like I grow everything from seeds, but I go for like the weird heirloom variety. Yes. So I end up having like tomatoes of that are blue and black. Crazy colors. Crazy colors. And um, so I was photographing a lot of food through the summer along with more flowers, mm-hmm. then fall comes, you know, and, and I, originally I was like, well, I'll do this until, you know, lockdown is over. But of course it wasn't over and it wasn't over. And then I was like, okay, right. I'll do it for a year. And then of course, <laughs> you know, I've reached the year. Right. So then I said, uh, I'm going to do it until I get both of my vaccine doses. So oh. I've gotten the first one <laughs> and I'm starting to get nostalgic because you know, what am I going to do? But, you know, at the end of the day, it's such a long project and it's such an endless, this could be like endless, right. really. Um, you know, but I've basically photographed four seasons of my garden, yeah, which has been amazing. I photographed, you know, in winter it was freezing. I was photographing like mosses and um moldy stuff and mushrooms and but all the colors in that all the colors to be found it's it's incredible it's it's just incredible and just last week you know what what happens when you start observing what's around is that the more you observe the more you discover Mm -hmm. and like last week I discovered you know these tiny tiny little black flowers like pitch black in a bush and I was like Ooh, black flowers. I haven't done that. So I went and I caught the little flowers and I was like, let's find more black things or gray things. So I went around the yard and, and I found like these tiny blackberries and I mm. found this dark piece, of, you know, dark foliage. And I mean, that black palette is the bomb. Gorgeous. Uh, back to Rothko, as you said. Exactly. It all goes back to Rothko. <laughs> and uh, so anyhow, you know, it's been, there's a lot of work besides photographing. Right. Because, you know, I have obviously, is is I started to sort out through the thousands of photos I have. Mm-hmm. 
I'm narrowing that, that down. And then the other half of the process is out of these photographs, which are really pretty. Like I could, I can totally see these being, um, you know, like art prints on, on sure. so framed on someone's house because mm -hmm. they are, they are flowers, but they are not like the, the Victorian granny flowers. These are, right. I, I mean, or that's my intent. This is like a contemporary take. It's almost like blobs of color, but they are flowers. Right. So cool. Or sticks or whatever. And uh, the, so the second part is I'm abstracting the, those colors in the flowers into color palettes. Mm. And these color palettes are an abstract representation of nature. Mm -hmm. But then I think all of, all of these, the way I'm thinking of packaging it is, is into a book that shows both, you know, on one side of the page, the flowers on the other side, the palette. And it, and it talks about uh, the footnote on each page it talks about the flowers. So it's mm -hmm. something that can work, that can be useful for gardeners or it can be Absolutely. useful for, for flower designers or for wedding bouquet yeah. makers or Endless. whatever. And then the other side that is the, the color palette is something that can be used by designers or illustrators or surface designers. And, and then I can, I'm, I'm obsessed, you know, those books about, color terminology, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, before Pantone existed. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, there were these people that were trying to create standards and they would create the names. And of course, there's like the names that come from like cobalt. Right. Because it's made of cobalt. But then there's like the, the Indian yellow that comes from the pea of cows that ate mango leaves. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I sort of want to do my, my thing with naming. Like, like that. You know, naming those colors. I was wondering when you were talking earlier about Anna Bianchi's colors, like your colors, your, if you were making your own color palette and granted, this one is adapted from nature and it's abstracted from nature, which is wonderful, but uh -huh. your names and your, I, I can't wait to see how it all, how it all unfolds. Yeah. I see a so paint line. I, I, well, yes, I would <laughs> love to do that, that, you know, I fantasize with that for a long time mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, it's it's funny that you bring it up because recently I started using per, you know, Lisa Congdon's mention. I started using these really beautiful handmade watercolors yes. Yes. for making, mm -hmm. which, of course, I'm obsessed. Yes. But then I making. remember I had some pigments that I bought in Florence, you know, like 25 years ago. I have the little jars. Oh. I think I'm going to make my watercolors. Oh, great. And um, yeah. So I'm going to start. And then the other thing is, obviously, there's the colors in nature. So I've been collecting oak galls, which are yes. these like balls that grow in oaks that you can make beautiful ink from them. Beautiful. And that's what all the medieval books were made with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've the been collecting. I mean, being Mexican, there's a lot of guacamole happening in my house. So <laughs> I've been saving all the avocado pits. They make the most have, gorgeous color. I have one year of avocado pits. Oh. You do? Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. So I'm going to have like an avocado pit extravaganza to create this, you know, Beautiful. pinkish, whatever. Mm -hmm. I was going to go last year to a natural pigment workshop in Vancouver Island. In um, I'll come with you when we can go. Yes. So let's do that. I promise. That's, yes. That's totally there. So you have some amazing dyers in your 
neighborhood. Well, sort of close. A verb for keeping warm. Do you know that store? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Berkeley. No, you mentioned it. I haven't been there okay. for obvious reasons, but yes. it's in my list to check. I think um, I think you'll be fascinated, and and all these things we'll put in the show notes. But um, it's you know that's a story for another day. But they are very very strong proponents of natural color and they grow their mm-hmm. own indigo on in a little strip there. And she mm-hmm. has a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. Kristen Behar has a beautiful book on dyeing. Nice. Um, but back to you and your color. I think one one of the things that's so been so interesting to follow along on your Instagram is how you're finding, you know, the colors that you're pulling out of these things from your garden and all year long, you know, it's so interesting I love a winter garden and, and I, I don't cut things down on purpose because I love those shapes and how the frost comes on mm-hmm. them or if we're lucky enough, ice and the shape of an old cow parsley or whatever. I just think mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. But to think about those and then see them, how you interpreted their color was just mm-hmm. so wonderful. And, and, I, and I get that you'd have to give yourself an end date because you're going to see something on the same day mm-hmm. this year that was different from last year, but now you get to, mm-hmm. to enjoy the process of what becomes of those next. How are you putting mm-hmm. those together? How are you sorting through those? And then where will they go? That from is there? correct. And, and, you know, like I've made some artwork based on these projects. Some, you know, sometimes I have, um, you know, like I, I, I use the images to create like a floral design on watercolor and, and it looks really pretty and it and, and it translates well and whatever. But then there's there's the colors that I've been using in other things. Like I recently um, designed a, an archaeological children's museum online. It's mm. launching. Um, I think it's live already. And where's that online? Yes, so this is like a, a group of archaeologists. I, I've designed museum shows um, on several occasions. There, there. It's an Etruscan Roman site in Tuscany. But this year, because they couldn't go dig, they decided to do an online museum, and it had a wow. kids component. Wow! And it's all color coded, and I worked on the colors of of that as I was working with the flowers. So you know, it's sort of like I'm testing my own pre- premise of this can help other people, mm-hmm. you know, be more solid with their color using their own projects. Right. So sort of like I became my own guinea pig. Oh, what an awesome opportunity. And, and, fi- and, the, and again, just like the plane, just like the, your vision of the, the maple leaf and the frost, you know, mm-hmm. and I would imagine, you know, thinking through the museum project, what are they, what are they uncovering? What's that the terra firma, what, what are they seeing? And, and then with your garden, I just can't wait. I love how your brain works and how you, <laughs> how you see these things. Cause obviously there's so much more than we can even, you know, pack into this, into this conversation. But I think because of all that you're involved in and your love of color, you must, do you feel that with each product project, you're just refining and defining that along the way? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and yet, you know, for example, like I see people that are very committed and they have their own color palette. I just couldn't do that. I'm right. so much if I'm working on my own artwork, I do whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I use the colors in whichever way I want to do them. If I'm working for a client and a client being anybody from design to a, a kid's book to, 
you know, home decor items, whatever. If I'm working, and this comes from my design formation, mm-hmm. I need to understand what they need. Right. And, and I'm going to create colors that are not m- my jam. I'm going to create colors that are good for them and that are appropriate for them and for their need and for the story and for the concept. And the same thing happens, you know, we always have all these conversations about style. Mm-hmm. And and I've, I have to say, like, I've struggled a lot in regards of this, like, the question of style. Because, um, I mean, even though there's, obviously, color is something that connects all the different things I do. Mm-hmm. And, and and you could argue that there is some common style in a lot of things that I do. But the reality is that I, I like creating a style mm-hmm. based on the need of the project. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's that's sort of like opposite to how a lot of people work. And um and and you know, that's fine because everybody works in a different way, because that's why we are artists. But let's just say like children's books. Mm-hmm. If I'm there's a story that I may read that will make me think of a more graphic look with a certain kind of colors, and then I may read another story that is much more nostalgic, and then it's more nuanced, and then it's more like pencil and subtle colors. Mm-hmm. So and and I cannot impose one style onto the other and I cannot impose right. you know a dif- a, my favorite colors right into every story that I illustrate right and and you know it it and then you know the tricky thing of this is 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 that philosophical question is are people going to think of oh that's Anna's style or or you know and we've talked about this a few times. We have. I. This is such a, I, I'm quiet because I'm thinking so much about this. I remember, again, growing up with an interior design mom, I remember a very well-known um, designer that was active when I was growing up. And he would. He loved that you knew he'd been in that home and, and touched that project because it had his mark on it, his look, his colors. But then my mom's theory was always, I want it to look like that person's home. I want it to look like their style that they didn't even know they could pull out, you know? And I was thought for me, I was like, well, that, that seems like the ultimate, you know, reaction or or the ultimate goal is to have it look Mm -hmm. like that thing. So Mm -hmm. you're saying in design, Mm -hmm. you know, for that airline or for that color palette or for that paint Mm -hmm. palette, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that we struggle with, gosh, am I, Am I pulling out the best for that project? But I think in just thinking about it, Anna, you you do that. I just think, mm-hmm. I feel like the work I've seen of yours does not look like cookie cutter anything. Mm-hmm. It looks like no. this was made because it belonged in the world as this project. And that's why I can't wait for the color project to continue mm-hmm. to evolve because it is its own thing. And I think you do have mm-hmm. that gift. I mean, also we haven't even talked about ceramics, which I don't think you do enough of because it's so gorgeous, but that doesn't look anything <laughs> like anything else, you know, yeah. the, the ceramics that you make. So, and the dresses are, are their own thing. So I think you definitely have the gift of everything holding their own through your creative eye. You know, I sort of like to create these individual little worlds for these creative endeavors to be their best whether they are my personal projects or they are a project for a client, it's the best it can be for itself. And I'm mm-hmm. just like the alchemist that puts it together or, yeah. you know, 
throws the pixie dust on top of it. And I'm very dedicated to each project that I do individually. I really try not to get it contaminated, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. from any other you know project that I'm working at at the same time. So yeah. that it's so special and so itself that that's what makes it unique. And, and that's what my clients tend to really appreciate when I create something for, for them that is so special. Absolutely. That is a huge gift. And I'm sure why people seek you out because they know that they're going to get something that's very much for them. I think, I think that's wonderful. I think you'll have to come back and we'll have to talk for another hour. (laughs) There's so much more to say. One of the things, you know, I like to do is make sure I'm seeing who and what's inspiring you. You want to share some of that? What's inspiring, what or who is inspiring you at the moment? Besides your beautiful gardener, that's one of them, I, I'm sure. Yes, but that's not a person. No. <laughs> I would say, well, there's three, right now there's three main sources of inspiration for me. One is the artwork I see around me in, like in Instagram or in Lila's classes or, you know, just like out in the world. I think it's, there's so much talent and there's so much diligence in all these artists around me. Yes. But that's also something that keeps me going. Uh, we are, as artists, we tend to be in our little cave and I love being in my cave. But but that tends to give us like a silo kind of environment. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to see that there is a community out there. I mean, that there's people that are that are in the path. Mm-hmm. As I like to call it. And of course, I see people like I love seeing Ellen Darty paintings. Mm-hmm. I adore anything Lisa Congdon does and the, in, the intensity and the riches, richness of it. And um, but then I also love, you know, pe- for example, like this, this Instagram. Um, well, and, and Wood, the mm-hmm. Wood Locker Anne that Wood. makes the amazing. paper flowers. Mm, she's amazing. I mean, I think we are kindred spirits. We mm-hmm. have to do something together one day. When you can, you should go to one of her, her and her husband's studio shows. Those are incredible. Oh, my God, I would die. You know, there's there's just so much talent that I do spend a little time every day on Instagram, just just seeing yeah. and 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 being inspired and enjoying. And it changes all the time because it all depends on the you know the algorithm and who the algorithm decides to show me for a day. Right. But but uh, you know, I, I would say there is a big community of very creative people that I just love um, their energy and their 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 inventiveness and their I mean I love Isabel Arsenault and and her line making is incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just like a bunch of people I always go back um yeah. to Rebecca Green. Um mm-hmm. I, I just love her work, etc. And a lot of the people that I just love seeing is people that do work that has nothing to do with what I do. Right. Um but you know it's just inspiring. Then the other thing that has always been a source of inspiration is this crazy thing that I put together once uh, that is a big chart of inspiration. It started, I don't know if you, I sent it to you so that you would see it. And it's a so crazy good. little thing, so but it, 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 I did it many years ago and it's very valid still. So about 15 years ago, when I was at the branding agency, my friend uh, Sylvia Chu challenged me to make a list of a hundred artists I like from memory. Like I couldn't Google, I couldn't search, I couldn't look at books. I just had to have like a little piece of paper on my desk where I would start writing down artists. A mm-hmm. hundred, that's a lot. 
it sounds easier than it is. It was uh -huh. really hard. It took me quite a while and I had to go into like in my memory, like what was the name of that yes. guy that painted whatever in mm -hmm. a show in Mexico, whatever. I came up with a hundred list after, you know, several months. And then I had the immense fortune of doing a workshop with the one and only Milton Blazer. Oh, amazing. Amazing. And before the workshop started, he sent out an assignment to put what inspires you in a, you know, 15 by 20 board. Mm -hmm. And and I went all out and I pulled out my hundred artist list. But then in the but then there was like a whole other category. But basically I created a chart that has what inspires me the most? So, like, obviously, we we said we talked about Picasso and his sure. multifaceted way, multi technique art making. That's definitely mm -hmm. one thing. There's obviously Matisse and his color and his bold pieces, and of course, you know, one of my children's books is about Matisse paper cutouts. There's another good chapel to go into. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> then you know, whatever from Rothko, I learned a lot about color from. All these different artists that were in my list, what is it that I learned from them? Nice. And Piero della Francesca, which is obviously, you know, like one of my absolute favorite. From him, I learned geo geometry and mm, composition, which mm. is not what people normally would think of. Because one thing is, oh, Piero della Francesca is so fantastic. But what is it that Piero gave me? And it was geometry and composition. Wow. And um, or little things like in one of her paintings, one of his most marvelous paintings, um, the figure has her hand in a certain position on her hip. Mm. And I wrote a paper around that whole piece. But I always throw that little hand in a lot of my children illustrations. because oh. It's just so beautiful. Love that. Anyhow. But then as I was working on that chart, I, there were also the things that are, are not like artists that have a name that inspire me. So the bottom half of that chart has what I call anonymous art, mm. which is, you know, like all the crafters that we don't know their names, but right. they make amazing stuff that inspires right. me. And, um, you know, or or historic periods that we not not necessarily know the artist names. Um, mm -hmm. You know, right. I, I I studied Japanese calligraphy. calligraphy. I, I don't know Japanese, but I sat down through a whole year of Japanese calligraphy with a Japanese teacher mm. um, because I've always been so drawn to Japanese calligraphy and, and the use of the ink and the brush and everything. So anyhow, that's a chart that even though I created some time ago, and obviously at this point I could throw in a few more things that inspire me. That's a chart that has hold steady in my realm of inspiration for a long time. And I go into it every now and then. And and I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't thought of this artist in a while. Let's go look at the books. Yeah. Or let's see what we see again in that's in, saying a lot. I think there's a whole book in that, Anna. I think so. I mm -hmm. think so. Because you know, people always tell me, Oh my God, you're so creative. No, and of course we are all very creative. Or oh, you're so talented. Or oh, you you whatever, you know, like um, you know, like in high school I with the superlatives upon yeah. graduation, yeah, I, I I was like most likely to write an encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> Random thought because I have good memory and I retain yeah. a lot of these. And you're like, interested historic. in a lot of different things. I'm a very curious yeah. person, and you know, so so 
I would love to help people find that kind of inspiration and get that kind of inspiration and discover, you know, how the, there's like there's no boring things or boring things. It's just that you haven't looked deep enough. Right. So, you know, that's like a whole other conversation. But um, the third thing that really inspires me nowadays is my own daughter. Yes. She is, uh, so she's like an 11 year old masterpiece of mm -hmm. a kid. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for her every single day. And she's super creative and she's super thoughtful. And like she'll, um, it really inspires me and feeds me to see how self-initiated she yes. is in her creative endeavors. Like she, right now she's teaching herself how to do like stop motion animation with Legos. But then she'll come and say like, you know, uh, I'm going to make like, you you sort of can see it back there. The house. Yes, a little paper house is what I'm looking at. So, Not little. So she's but... been making cardboard boxes. Uh, car, car, she hoards the cardboard boxes and she just entertains herself making houses. And she goes into a whole like Eichler house <gasps> design kind of nice. process in her head and makes, you know, mid-century modern cardboard houses. Then she went into Victorian houses. So that one back there is a Victorian house. Does she know about just... Legoreta? That's one of my favorite Mexican architects. Ah, Legoreta, yeah. So uh, my house was built in Mexico. I grew up in a house that was built by one of his students. <sighs> the use of so, light. And I've learned so much. Anyway, yeah. I digress. Yeah. But anyhow, you know, this kid, you know, then she, she asked me for my password for Skillshare. And I'm like, uh -huh. okay. So she's she's figuring out what her style of illustration is through a Skillshare class. Oh so, my gosh. You know, it's just incredible to see this because if one day I wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I'm like, yeah. whatever, you know, she just lights me up. Yeah, she's, she's a doer. Always, she's a doer. And of course we feed each other. Mm -hmm. and, what a gift. And, 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 but, you know, she, I just can't wait to see where she's going mm -hmm. to go with, with her creativity. I, I remember too, deep in COVID, tell the stair climbing story real quick. Oh my God. Yeah. This was, I mean, this was so inspiring. So yes. this was back in May. Um, you know, she was um, homeschooling like everybody's yeah. kids. And, um, and she decided to challenge herself to climb Mount Everest using the stairs in the house Amazing. And um, and I thought it was so inspiring that I, you know, I, I, I said to her, you know, there's people that do this to raise funds for for a cause. So I connected her with somebody that I met at Alt Summit that runs this beautiful charity, not charity, like a nonprofit. She designed a dress that grows uh, seven sizes so mm. that schoolgirls in Africa don't drop out of school because they don't fit in their school uniforms yes. anymore, oh. which is such a such a dumb oh. thing and such an easy fix if you think about it. So yes. anyhow, this this woman runs this um, nonprofit called She, and it, that means style, hair, empowered. Mm. Um, and so Florence started climbing stairs. We came up with, with these challenge she did the math she figured out she had to climb the the stairs here in the house 60 times a day for 45 days oh my God. amazing i know she did and, it um she did it the kid did it and yeah. 
And towards the end, she got a video from these girls in Togo oh. hearing her. So I have this, you know, there's this, this connection between this kid and, and, and those girls in Togo where she is like a hero, oh. you know, just cheering her, cheering her. And oh I was playing gosh. it as she was doing her last few flights of stairs. And we raised almost $5,000. Uh, and that was enough to send 178, <sighs> I think, girls back to school. Oh, you're, you're raising her right, my dear. And she is obviously I'm following curious. Her yes, you're, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's a beautiful thing to see. I love that. And you obviously were raised by strong, creative, mindful, curious women. And your sounds like your grandfather as well. And, and you're doing the same. And I just think that's. Well, and my dad, I have to say, you know, yes. he, he's not artistic at all, but he can make or build or fix anything he's like the most See? ingenious that and talented creative. with his yeah it's so he's not arti- that's why i say he's yeah. not artistic but he can fix anything and you learn like from that would, yeah like i mean for kindergarten and we are back in childhood times you know like there was this beautiful spring um festival in my in my preschool that everybody would come in their tricycles but the tricycles would be decorated oh, yeah and uh you know like he turned my 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 tricycle into one of those canoes that float in Mexico with flowers. Oh gosh. And oh, it was just like the best, best canoe. And, you know, we, he built like a tree house for me. Now we are building, trying to build a tree house here. You know, it's just, I think that when, what I'm getting at is when you pursue creativity and make creativity an everyday thing, whether you're cooking or drawing or making thingies or, or, you know, or whatever, the, the gratification and the level of happiness that you can get from infusing your everyday activities with creativity, it just has like endless returns. Mm. And when you foster that in, in kids, it's even better because that's how you make a better world. It's true. I so appreciate that quote. Thank you. What a perfect thing. Welcome. (laughs) Mm. This has been wonderful. We will have on the, on the page on the website, all this information. Anna has a mailing list that you can sign up for. Will you tell us your, where to find that mailing list, Anna? Sure. Um, So my people can DM me through Instagram, my Instagram, my main Instagram is Anna Loves Color, Anna with one N, because mm-hmm. I'm from Mexico and speak Spanish. Beautiful. And my website is also Anna Loves Color. Mm-hmm. And you can sign up or message me through my website or also through papergirlcollection.com, Perfect. which is a clothing line. You know, all, all roads lead to the same person. Perfect. So, and in- then we, and then you're thinking about, doing some teaching when this is all over and we can gather again. And I'm looking forward to some workshops. Exactly. So I'm going back to the creativity thing. I think that creativity is a muscle that can be easily exercised. And uh, and I know a lot of tricks for coming up with creative solution. I know a lot of things that I use myself for being creative, for being appreciative, for getting inspiration. 
And um, so, you know, I'm starting to work into putting together something around that. I want to flex those muscles of creativity in people that sometimes feel like, oh, my God, I'm not inspired or, oh, my God, you know, I'm like it drives me insane when I hear somebody say like, oh, I'm so not creative or, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, I just can't draw. I'll make you draw. I'll know. (laughs) Yes. I know how to make people draw and find the joy of drawing. I think that is so important and it's missing. You know, we, there's that barrier of entry to so many Mm -hmm. things we see online, you know, courses and things like that. And if, if it's just getting comfortable with whatever that creative exercise Mm -hmm. is and for no other reason than just to try, I think you're the Mm -hmm. perfect person to, to teach that. Yes. And we can find like a lovely location with a garden so that we can be outdoors and enjoy the place. Perfect. Uh, Well, thank you for your wisdom and your creative sense and your color thoughts. And just, it's so interesting hearing your, your path and your story. And I can't wait to see what unfolds next for you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you so much for having me, for inviting me and for giving me this space to, to tell my little story. That's it for this episode of Windowsill Chats. Thanks so much for being here with me. It's just so great to be able to bring you these conversations with the fantastic people and wonderful friends that I've met and made along the way. Make sure you subscribe to Windowsill Chats on your favorite podcast app and please share it with a friend. And if this episode spoke to you, I'd really appreciate it if you would also leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can just go to the bottom of the episode you've just listened to and it'll let you leave a review. If you have any questions or want to check out more details or inspiration that we talked about, head over to the show notes at windowsillchats.com or tantostudio.com. They'll both take you to the same place. I can't wait to share more stories with you again next week. I value your time and I absolutely believe in your potential. Have a great one, everyone, and stay creatively curious.